Guys, I want to invite you to open your copy of God's Word this morning to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we continue walking through Paul's epistle to the church there in Ephesus. And we'll be looking at verses 7 to 10 this morning. So I do hope you have a copy of God's Word this morning. Open there with me. Because this is what it's about. Not about my opinion, not my words, but the authority and the life breathe word of God. And this is what it says, verses 7 to 10. Paul said this, of this, of this gospel, I was made a servant according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of God's power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone that is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This morning we're going to look at really verses 7 to 9, maybe a little bit of 10. But we'll really get into the role of the church, the bride of Christ as God's plan A um, in weeks to come. But this morning... We're looking at this gospel that Paul is referencing so strongly, so clearly. And we see two clear things about this gospel. And the first is this. The gospel is the greatest of good news of all time. Gospel literally meaning good news, so yeah, I know that's not very appropriate. The good news is the greatest of good news of all time. Well, you've got to distinguish it, though. It's in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So the first of two points this morning, the first is this. The gospel is the greatest of good news of all times. And Paul opens up in verse 7, and he says, of this gospel. There's a specificity there. He's referencing not just any type of good news, but something most profound, something distinct, the The word gospel in the Greek, I I love to say it. It's a lot of fun to say. The word gospel literally means good news. And in the Greek, the word is transliterated to euangelion. Say that with me. Euangelion. Okay, that sounded like bad news. It's actually good news. Like, euangelion! Yes, let's go! Kiddos, I encourage you this week, you get home from school someday, run through the front door. Mom, Dad, euangelion! If they weren't paying attention today, they might be thinking you're coming to tear them up or wrestle them down. I don't know. It's exciting. I love the word euangelion, this good news. And truly, the gospel is the greatest of good news of all time. When a kindergartner comes home, she might come to the front door and say, Hey, Mom, Dad, I've got some good news. I learned all my sight words today. And moms and dads beam with pride, and we put the accomplished work on the refrigerator. That's good news in our house. Good news might be a second grader coming home and say, Mom and Dad, I've got good news. You'll never believe what the teacher said. Though us boys were a little too rough on the playground a few weeks ago, they said starting tomorrow we get to play football again at recess. Mom, this is good news. It's pretty good news. The fifth grader comes home and says, I've got some good news. I went to junior high orientation, and I got to actually select my very first choice of instrument for band next year. Mom, Dad, isn't that great news? Yeah, that is good news, buddy. 
Or maybe there's a high school senior who, who opens a letter, and they read this letter, and it says, we want to be the first to congratulate you of the good news of your acceptance. That's good news. And we think about different seasons of life, wherever you are, the different people and the different areas of influence, the different things you walk in, and those are items of good news. But when it comes to the gospel, those ain't nothing. The gospel of Jesus Christ as the greatest of good news of all time is totally other and superior than any sense of imagined or experienced goodness in this world. And that's the gospel that Paul's talking about. He's saying, of this gospel, this is the good news that's the greatest of all good news of all time because it truly is so good because it's directly connected to all that Jesus has accomplished for you and for me, for all the ages past and all the ages to come. That's what makes this such good news. It's the good news that faith is available for all. The gospel is the greatest of good news of all time because the gospel is this good news that faith is available for all. Up to this point in Ephesians, Paul emphasized it in chapter 2, verse 8. By grace you have been saved through faith. He says, let me tell you about the greatest of good news of all time. It's this, there's a faith available, and it has everything to do with works, but not your works. Not the rap sheet that you've accumulated. Not the guilt and the shame that only your flesh can accumulate and accomplish. But it's this faith that's available only based on the works of Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life, died a death that you deserved in your sin, was buried in a borrowed tomb, but on the third day he raised again to life. Paul says it's that good news that there's a faith available. But it's not just a faith limited to some certain area of society, but like he says in verse 13, it's a faith that's available truly for all. In verse 13, Paul gives us full scope of the grace and truth of the good news of the gospel that those who were once far off by the blood of Jesus spilled at Calvary, you have now been brought near. There are no more dividing lines of ethnicity or social class. But based on the work accomplished at Calvary through Jesus as God the Son, this gospel is the greatest of good news of all time because there is now made so clear a faith available for all. Psalm 16 verse 6 says, Because of God, the boundary lines of your life have fallen in favorable places. That's the good news accomplished by Jesus. The greatest of good news of all time, salvation is available for all, based on having faith on work accomplished by God. So no longer, if you want to come to a place of covenant relationship with the Maker, you don't have to go through some limited conversions of Judaism and all the rituals and the Old Testament law. But it's clear now, it's for all, both Jew and and Gentile, all people groups, red, yellow, black, and white, the entire singular race of humanity. We've got some family here for a baptism earlier, and our family comes from the east side of town, born and raised. And we smile, but you do that over there, you better be ready, okay? 
But this good news on the east side of town where I was raised, the good news is not just for those who live on the prestigious north shore side of the tracks where my bride grew up, but the good news of all time is also available for those who lived on the south side of the tracks in Galena Park. The good news is also available for those who live on the other side of the back road tracks in Galena Manor and Fidelity on the east side of town. That's just how good the gospel is. And here on the west side of town, the gospel is the greatest of good news of all time. It's available for all those who live in the custom homes of Katie and just as much for those who live in the cuts of Katie. That's how good the gospel of Jesus Christ is. This gospel, Paul references, truly is good news. There's no other sense of goodness in this world apart from him. So, mom and dad, if you want to provide a healthy dose of biblical perspective for your kids this week, if they come through the door shouting, you on Helion, and it has something to do with recess, or sight words, or their instrument selection for sixth grade, Pull a, a classic Jesus juke and say, well, sweetheart, I'm sure you're pretty excited about that, but that's not really the good news. The good news is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if any of y'all take me up on that, I'm sure your kids will tell me, so I look forward to hearing that. Paul says, of this gospel, I was made a servant. In the ESV, it says minister, but in the Greek, it says diakonos, the word we get for deacon, literally meaning servant or um, a bondservant, a, a slave to some type of master. And Paul says, because of this gospel, I was made a servant according to the gift of God's grace. So the first point that Paul makes of the gospel is the greatest of good news of all time. The second is this, that the gospel is the greatest, I'm sorry, the gospel is the greatest of good news of all time. The second is what I just said. The gospel is the greatest of gifts of all time. Perhaps an aspect of this gift you're familiar with is exactly what Paul wrote there. It's a gift of grace. God has lavished on humanity a gift that we could never deserve in any of our own strength, anything we can muster up. It's this gift of grace. The gospel is the greatest of divine giveaways, these, this godly giving away of all time. It's a gift of grace that was at the expense of God the Son. And because of this good news of a gracious gift, Paul says, when this gospel took hold of my life, something happened. Something totally changed in my life. I was made into something. I was created into something. And what we know is that at faith, you cease to exist in the, the deadness of your trespasses, and then in faith in Christ, you now become alive in relationship with him. And he says, because of this gift of grace, I was made a servant. I experienced this transformation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about that. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, the old has passed, the new has come. The gospel is the greatest of gifts of all time. And Paul said, I'm a servant of this gift of grace. 
Paul knew this gift of grace. It transformed him into a servant of a worthy master. So recognize that he just went from being one slave of one master, now a slave of a worthy master. He's no longer the slave of this world. He's no longer a slave of broken addictions or empty relationships. He's no longer a slave of wandering aimlessly at the currents of culture around him. But now he is fixed on Christ. And he has this master who's worthy of his devotion. A master in Jesus as Savior and Lord, worthy of him being completely sold out, serving him. And when it comes to this gospel as a gift... Some of you here this morning need to be reminded that the gospel is the greatest of good news through Jesus who lived, died, and raised from the dead. And it's a gift of grace that God has just freely given away at the expense of his son who is also fully God. And some of you here this morning have yet to respond to that truth in faith. Some of you here this morning, the simple message you need to hear from Paul's referencing of this gospel is that you need to profess your need of a Savior, believing that Jesus is God the Son who lived, who died, and raised from the dead according to the Scriptures, and believe on Him as your Savior and Lord. What could be better of an update from today than someone who is walking in the darkness of this world, empty, broken, hopeless. But perhaps today, you say, today I'm going to profess faith on Jesus. I want something better. Today I want what those two precious children exhibited in the baptismal waters today. I want Jesus to crucify myself, to bury me to my old self, and by the power of the Spirit, raise me in the goodness of the gospel to a newness of life. Some of you here today need to be simply reminded of that good gift available of grace and receive it. But there's another aspect of it as well. When it comes to the gospel as the greatest of giveaways of all time, some of you need to be reminded that it's not just a gift of grace. It's not just about us getting all these things that we can never deserve. It's not just about getting all these things that Christ has earned for us. But check this out. That's where we need to take a deep breath. This is not me. This is not comfortable for me. As best I can tell by the Spirit, this is the authority of God's Word. The gospel is not just the gift of grace, but it's also a gift of grief. The gospel is not just a gift of grace, but in addition to to the grace of the gospel, it's truly a gift of grief. Paul was a recipient of the gospel as a gift of grace, but he knew perhaps the gospel most intimately as a gift of grief. Go back with me to the text and notice what he's describing here. He says, of this gospel— I was made a servant according to the gift of God's grace, which is given to me by the working of his power. Paul said, I became a servant because of this good news. My life has been completely wrecked in the eyes of society. Any significance and status and strength that I had among my peers and the Jewish leadership, I've lost it all because of the gospel. 
God has caused that. And he says, it's a glorious gift. The gospel is not just a gift of grace, but it is a glorious gift of grief. Paul said, I was made into a servant. Since the gospel took Paul's life, transformation came, but not just from being lost to found, not just being blind, but now can see. But since the gospel took hold of Paul's life, this gift of grace became known most intimately as a gift of grief. It took Paul from places of significance to being a servant who lost it all. And it wasn't even like he was now a servant of an earthly king, right? He was servant as a believer whose primary calling, whose primary purpose for still having breath in his lungs was to minister to those who were known as dogs to the nation of Israel. Paul said, since the gospel has taken hold of my life, I've been changed into a servant. I've lost everything as far as the world sees success and significance. And the only thing I've got is a ministry called to what the world considers dogs and outcasts. God's caused this. And then for the next three verses, he can't be quiet about just how amazing and beautiful and glorious such a gift of grief it is. The gospel is a gift of grace, but it's also a gift of grief. This grief of losing it all was a gift caused by the power of God. As a result of encountering Jesus, the gospel of faith, Paul's status changed. The glory he previously knew among Jewish society and his peers was only a life filled with grief. Paul understood what Jesus talked about to the disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33. That grief and your following of Jesus, grief is not a matter of if, but a matter of when. Jesus said, I've said these things to you, that in me you have peace, but in this world you will have tribulation. In this world you're going to have suffering. You're going to have grief. You're going to have brokenness. You're going to have disappointment in this world. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Paul understood grief was a given. Our staff and a few key leaders went to a church leaders conference this last week in Dallas. In one of the opening sessions, talked about there in John chapter 16, verse 33, how grief is a given in this world of your following of Jesus. Something else I learned on this trip was that our director of preschool ministries is pretty deadly throwing an axe. So look out when you're checking your kids and don't worry about their protection. She's got it covered over there. <laughs> there we go. Some of y'all just envision Miss Trish throwing axe at, at a wall. It's a sight to see, and if you can't find it on social media, let me know. I'll send you the link directly. But just like Jesus taught, Paul understood grief in this world is a given. That grief was played out in undeniable fashion across the pages of Paul's life, wasn't it? He was beaten. All because of the gospel, he was imprisoned. All because of this good news of grace that he received as a gift— being made servant, he was left for dead multiple times. Arrest attempt. Not certain, but very likely that he was perhaps married. And then as a result of him giving his life to Jesus as Savior, his wife left him. Shipwrecked. Eventually killed. All because he allowed the gospel of Jesus Christ, the greatest of good news of all the time, which is also the greatest of gifts of all time, take hold 
of his life. Paul knew that grief was part of this glorious, gracious gift. Paul says it's the most glorious, precious gift of all time because we're broken and we're caused to be weak. But in our brokenness and our weakness being completely emptied as far as the world sees it, there's no better place to be. Because in our weakness, we're then positioned to depend upon our Savior who has no weakness. Paul says, this is great news. This is such a glorious, gracious gift because it keeps me in a position that I never want to leave. I always want to be at the end of myself, completely depending upon my Savior. Oh, what a gift he has given me. That's what he talks about. He, he references, yeah, this is my calling. I'm the very least of the saints, mentioning, I mean, he was persecuting the Christians on the road to um, Tarsus, and then he, on the road on Damascus there, and he was converted from Saul of Tarsus to, to Paul the Apostle. Now called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And think about this man, Paul, who lost everything in the eyes of the world. Considers no greater privilege than teaching, preaching, sharing the good news of this gospel. Because even when he's emptied out, even when he loses everything, there's nothing sweeter than having this gift of closeness with the Lord. The good news of the gospel is the greatest of good news of all time. The goodness of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is the greatest of gifts of, of good news of all time. The goodness of the gospel, this good news is what I believe Paul shows here is the greatest of glory of all time. Nothing more is worthy in our lives in which you and I could give ourselves away. And that's where we end this morning. That's where I want to just invite you to consider what more might look like in your following of Jesus. Something else we heard this last week was, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not trying to shame you. I, I'm just trying to invite you to more of the fullness of the, the life that is better than all this world offers in relationship with Jesus. And so out of the gospel being the best of good news and the greatest of gifts, do you know this gospel that Paul speaks about today? In just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a, a final song together, exalting Jesus and strengthening one another's hearts by reminding each other of his greatness and his goodness. But some of you here have never made a personal decision on Jesus. You've got family members who know Jesus. You may even be here and, and you've got a first grader or a kindergarten girl who knows Jesus, but you've never personally placed your faith on Jesus. In just a moment, this time is for you, inviting you to come forward. I'd love to speak with you and help you see what Scripture teaches about this gospel for your life. But also, for us who are here and we're considered believers, what's your perspective been on this gift of grace? You're still frustrated that life's been difficult? You're just waiting for a prosperous breakthrough. She says you're going to have tribulation in this world. But it doesn't matter because out of tribulation, after, out of suffering, out of grief, there's no better position you can be in than having this closeness 
with me. We've got two funerals over the next seven days from within our church family. The gift of grief in the gospel is that we can grieve in the way that we're made as human beings, but we can grieve all the while having hope. That's part of such a gift because we lean in to Jesus. I want to submit to you today, just consider, as we have a time of prayer, as we prepare our hearts to sing one more song, what's that good news in your own life? And do you know this good news truly as a gift, whether it seems beneficial to you or not as far as the world's concerned? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we're not just talking about any type of good news, but truly we are talking about the greatest of good news of all time. God, truthfully speaking, this greatest of good news is not the greatest of all time, but it's the greatest of good news even outside of time, Lord. We're so grateful that who you are and all you've done on our behalves is not bound by time or space, but this faith available for all is for this life and all eternity. God, I pray right now for those in our midst who don't know a personal relationship with Jesus. There are some here I know, Lord, who do not know you as Lord. Perhaps today, Father, would you cause them to have such an unsettling unrest about them so they repent and find the good news of Jesus as Savior. Would you give them a a boldness? Would you grant them a faith to confidently trust you and consider what is the next step of giving themselves away and being faithful? Have them do that, Lord. God, for us here who are among the household of faith, those here, we are followers of Jesus, Lord. We confess to you. I confess to you, Father. Too often I get wrapped up in the, the good aspects of the, the gospel, the, the worldly benefits that come with it. Now to forget that what it's really calling us to is to follow Jesus, take up our cross, deny ourselves even to the point of death. Father, I'm sorry for where I've allowed the conveniences of living in Katy, Texas bring my fiery passion for you to a lukewarm temperature. Would you help us today as followers of Jesus in the name of Jesus to be blown away by the riches of Jesus and who he is and all he's done that no matter what we walk through we realize it as the greatest of all gifts and you fill us up within with Jesus where we can't help but allow it break out and share with those around us. We give you this time, Lord. We want to worship you one last time together. Would you move this place? Would you pour yourself out and make yourself known in undeniable ways? We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name.